Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with another Alex, Alex Butler. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, Alex. Good to be here. Um, for everyone, my name is Alex Butler. have been in the software as a service space for about six years now um, with a focus in digital marketing and advertising. Um, I've been looking forward to, to sitting down with you, Alex, to talk a little bit about the space, um, what hurdles are ahead for marketers, um, especially in the ever-changing world of digital marketing. Um, and in listening to your podcast and now being a part of it, um, I think we got some great uh, so, some great discussion ahead of us. I think the first question is pretty out there, um, and that's exactly what our listeners want. What are some marketing tactics we could hypothetically use to lessen cell phone addiction? Ooh, Alex coming in hot. <laughs> It's a loaded question um, because obviously a main metric for, for marketers is engagement. And obviously what I'm sure we both are on the same page of what cell phone addiction is, is every time you get that notification, I got to look. Every time I get a text message, an email, anytime your phone is going off for a push notification, I got to take a look. And it can drive some people crazy and, and uh, even form this, uh, this, this dopamine drive that, um, that creates this kind of addiction to, to, to cell phones, right? So it's a loaded question because as marketers, we want that engagement, right? So I think what it comes down to is, is the tactic, right? And is which is the most appropriate tactic. When I think about this paradigm, I think about loyalty marketing versus uh, awareness advertising, for instance, top of funnel versus lower funnel. Now, I think the marketing tactic that would work best, although it does trigger engagement, would be loyalty marketing because the engagement is stronger. The engagement is more personalized. The engagement is incredibly one-to-one. What's in it for what's in it for the consumer to take a look at that notification? Is that brand wasting their time or is that brand providing value? So I'd have to answer that question with loyalty marketing because as one who is part of many loyalty programs, if I get a notifications Say from my favorite retailer, yeah, I'm excited. Did I just did I just meet a new loyalty threshold where I get something for free, or I get an additional discount the next time I get to to, to make a purchase with them? Versus, you know, getting a notification that is completely unrelevant and I might consider spam. Um, obviously, that is not going to be uh, well received by any consumer. Um, so, in short, I think. <laughs> I think in short, there really is no marketing tactic to lessen cell phone addiction. It's more so is how can we provide more value uh, to those cell phone users um, to make sure every engagement is value uh, is uh, is valuable. Yeah, that's a good point you touch on. And I think another big part of it is 
targeting the right people and there's a lot of leakage. So like what you were talking about with awareness marketing or upper funnel marketing, the, this is touching millions of people if you're a large company and the numbers have to be in the millions typically because of the low conversion rate, which is to say that for over probably 90%, probably over 95% of the customers that you are reaching with your advertising, it's just noise in their right. li- in their lives. It's just digital noise that totally um, messes with their dopamine and is irrelevant and probably to some degree harmful or not a good fit for them. And that's why they're ignoring it, right? Right. Otherwise, right. 100% agree. If, if it was good, they would they would read it and like it and engage with it. And that's what we track and that's what we like. And the goal of marketing is to get more and more precise with audience measurement and marketing and targeting and personalization. These are very hot right now because we have the analytics, we have the the visual uh, on the ground. You know, we can see the actual people that we are targeting in in a data sense, not physically in front of us, but we can we we can see them to the degree that we can personalize our messages to them in a greater and greater degree. And we can also right. increase our targeting precision, um, so that so that there's less of that noise. And I think that what we both probably agree on is that we are going to a world where that is um, every marketing um, touch point is uh, is that personalized, and and there no longer is these like massive ballooned upper funnel campaigns that touch millions of people, but probably don't really. <laughs> provide value for most of those people right exactly and and data data is the biggest uh is is the new gold i like to call it data is the new gold because it allows us to um to not only analyze uh, uh, historical data but also allows us to forecast that right and in terms of human behavior there's a very interesting stat that has always resonated with me uh over over the last decade that the average human attention span is now shorter than a goldfish uh, a recent study found that the average human attention span has fallen from 12 seconds in the year 2000s to eight seconds in 2021. And the goldfish? What was that said again? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the goldfish has a nine-second attention span. Wow. And so, just in the just in the last a little over a decade. Um, you know, 12 seconds to eight seconds. That's only, you know, we, again, we look at the data. I think it's, uh, it's safe to say that that's going to continue to decrease. Yeah. So kind of what I was alluding to before in terms of how it, the engagement, we only have so much time to, to provide an impression and to generate an engagement. Well, if that engagement isn't valuable, um, then it's just a waste of an impression. And with CPMs continuing to increase, um, obviously, um, the effectiveness of, of, of marketing campaigns are, are going to be uh, are going to continue to be analyzed and uh, uh, become really top of mind um, for CMOs and, and, and those uh, uh, running those paid media campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, instead of looking at cost per metrics over the next decade, we will be looking at efficiency metrics for behavioral triggers in our marketing funnel. So one will be maybe downloading the app, 
for a certain service. Another would be before that, maybe even just visiting the website. And um, we will probably move towards tracking our marketing efforts based on, okay, how much did we spend? And then how much of that budget drove the behavior that we want? And that is the success for that budget. So like it's a well-spent budget if it drives the behavior that we are looking for. Right. I mean, it's not yeah, that's a really good point. It's not based on um, what those people necessarily drove, like went on to buy themselves, because that data has to be based on LTV and anal- analytics beforehand. So the first step is to identify where are the really valuable customers, the different profiles that you should target as a company. Maybe there's different campaigns you should have. And then the second is to study the best ways to reach those customers. And then the third is to judge marketing based on how well they get those audiences to do the actions that cause them to become customers. Right. That's, that is how it should be done. It's not typically done that way though, because that's like an insane amount of strategy to, to actually execute. Finding the optimal balance in marketing is very difficult, especially figuring out the right analytics mix to have like really good business clarity is like the question of the decade. Right. And it's only going to be changing um, with the cookieopolis, right? I think mm-hmm. that's what we're calling it. Or, yeah, cookie apocalypse or the cookieless world. Um, it's kind of incredible how. Um, how analysts have spent years to your point like the last decade, uh, you know, understanding this behavior. And now uh, a whole layer of that is going to be completely eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear we're going to transition to first party data though, which I'm happy about. I think that's actually the best way to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I actually have recently moved into uh, into the world uh, of first-party data analytics, which is really exciting. Interesting. Say more about that. Yeah. So, to, you know, kind of how this tr- discussion has transitioned is I do believe that first-party data is going to be the solution. I think it's really going to be the only solution to uh, to be able to continue to build those consumer behavioral trends to develop what is that action. And um, how can we optimize to, to better uh, to better create more of that consumer action, right? Uh, so a company that I have joined um, has just closed uh, uh, Series D uh, w- with SoftBank um, is called Adverity. It's an, an Austrian-born uh, technology company that is focused in uh, digital analytics for marketing intelligence. And this technology has the ability to uh, essentially connect any of your any of your marketing data sources. Um, if it's not already integrated, we'll build it and be able to consolidate that data. Um, along with data consolidation, also uh, uh, leads to data transformation. Um, one of the biggest challenges in terms, I'm sure you can relate to, is Sure, you, you can have uh, dozens of, of marketing channels, but when you have to consolidate reporting, 
Um, and this is actually, I think of my, my, fir my, my first, uh, my first career out of college working at a media agency. This is something that I dealt with <laughs> is when, when all these marketing channels and media channels are, uh, speaking different reporting languages, how do you consolidate that? And that's something Inverity does really well from, from a data transformation and enrichment perspective. That is the core of our technology and allowing brands and marketers to be able to consolidate that data and be able to generate insights. Okay. Um, so let me ask you, how do you tie in offline data channels? Because I know that online data channels, you know, integration is table stakes in sure. 2021 for online data channels. Everybody has an API. But for offline data channels, it's actually still really complicated. There's still a lot of estimation, especially with spend and reach for, you know, right. for radio. How do you even do that? So my, that's my question to you is how do you do offline data gathering? Um, yeah, just in layman's terms. Yeah, um, I mean, that's a that's a great question. Um, as for the roadmap for Verity, um, for our technology, it is focused on digital uh, right now. But I think you do pose a great question is, well, you know, digital, digital marketing is great, but for CMO integrated, integrated media and integrated marketing is really what's top of mind. Right. Um, because not every, not every brand is 100% focused uh, on, uh, on digital marketing. I think in terms of being able to connect all the dots, both digital, um, and, uh, non-digital, is honestly the non-digital conforming to become digital uh, because no one is printing out, no one's printing out spreadsheets anymore for reporting, right? All that's, all that is being done digitally. So I'd be curious to see how, you know, the major data providers um, are uh, for offline media will integrate um, with, with digital analytics solutions like at Verity and many others to be able to provide that data and give CMOs a true holistic look at their integrating integrated marketing. Consumers will appreciate a move towards digitization. So there, so that's what I really like about your answer that like, it, it's so obvious that we're moving towards it. And um, yeah, I like I like that you're hopping on board. Thank you. Do you think we'll have paper mailers in 20 years? I hope not. Me too. You know, what, you know what drives me crazy, Alex? What? It's getting paper mailers from e-commerce companies. Ugh. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me. What's a, what, so if, put, a, put somebody on blast right now. Who, what's, what's, uh, what have you gotten recently? Oh. You know, it's more of the banks and everything. Than oh, anything, my God. They're the not, <laughs> you know, I, I can't get them, you know, the to, number. To, to leave me alone. It's true. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. But when I think of entirely e-commerce, now I can't, it, it, if anything, you know, it's, it's, what's funny about that and how it leaves a negative impression is uh, because that was a negative engagement that I had with that brand. I don't even remember them. Yeah, you don't want it. To be honest. Yeah. I want nothing to do with it. It's like, you know, like, you know, yeah. serve me an ad on Facebook because I might be interested. Mm -hmm. You know, face. You know, Facebook is going to do a good job to, you know, to to serve an ad that's going to be to be relevant to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I have absolutely no intent, don't send me a mailer. And mm -hmm. now I've completely forgotten which uh, which which brand that was. Um, so I think it goes it goes to show kind of what we were talking about earlier is when a brand has the opportunity to drive an action 
and have the opportunity to make a meaningful engagement, that engagement, uh, you, you better take the best opportunity and you, you better have, um, you better provide the most personalized or relevant engagement to that consumer because quite literally they can forget you. Yeah. I want to talk about, um, about this concept that we briefly touched on earlier with the cell phone addiction question, but this is more about managing technology and don't let it manage you. What are, what are some examples of putting this principle into reality? Right. Manage technology. Don't let it manage you. Um, it's and being in software as a service for the last six years now, I think that has been a staple into which why I've been in this, this industry for so long and the thrill of it, um, the thrill of it being, and, and why I do this almost every day is, is helping people, helping marketers, helping analysts to be able to do their jobs at a higher level without having to put more, for instance, mental input into it or having to spend more time in order to get to the next level. By letting, by managing technology and not letting it manage you uh, can mean a few things, but primarily me, it means not being consumed by that technology, for instance, like cell phone addiction. Um, but, you know, what can our iPhones are Androids do to better enhance our lives as a use case. You know, don't every time Facebook tells you know says you have a notification doesn't necessarily mean you have to pick up the phone right then and there. But Facebook's an incredible solution to be able to connect with your friends and family that might not exactly be close geographically. Um, just kind of a use case there is is manage the technology, manage Facebook in a sense that it, it's a it's a use case for you to stay connected with friends and family rather than. Facebook telling you when to use its technology. Now, in, in think of it more from from a, from a business perspective. You know, I think about uh, two use cases. Uh, you know, in my in my in my past career, that has been a, a perfect example. Of that um, one, um, you know, selling an email marketing technology um, early in my career. There is this new startup company essentially e-commerce for used car sales. And this was a client that was, you know, had very aggressive goals. Any startup has very aggressive goals, right? Um, however, they were letting their core email technology manage them, being influxed by the limitations of their technology and having to adapt their, their business around that tech. Now, it's not sustainable, right? Because then you can only advance as an organization as that tech, as that individual technology advances, they're letting that technology manage them. Now I came in and said, well, what if I told you there's a solution where you can then manage the technology to have it allow you to do what you want, um, by integrating, uh, by integrating additional technology on top of that. And that's exactly what they, what we were able to prove out to them is that they can leverage this technology, um, as a supplement to their core email tech to execute the use cases and to execute the customer engagement that they were looking to do. Provide that higher level of personalization every time they're, they're sending 
their prospective or current customers um, an email um, through uh, as they've reached a certain stage um, in their sales process. Um, so, so, so that's a perfect case there of how the company that was being managed by their technology being able to work with additional integrations to then be the managers of that tech and get their business to the next level. Another use case I wanted to to mention about managed technology, don't let it manage you, is in when you get to that step of, of managing technology, which in your use case, you do incredibly well because now you're able to build on top of that. You're able to utilize the technology to generate your own insights to allow you to, to then make actions in the future that are going to be better off for you. I, th- I think of you know, one of my current clients here at Averity utilizing our technology to build something, which is, I think, kind of that next level of managing technology is not only to allow it to, to supplement and enhance so, uh, you know, a department's um, workflow, but to be able to build something new on top of it, being able to build uh, their own platform um, for, for, for their clients and, and customers, um, being able to, uh, to to create new things with technology is kind of that higher level of technology management that's incredibly exciting. And we have seen in the, uh, you know, the technology revolution, um, which I, you can kind of define since, uh, you know, the dot-com era, we have really been in a, a technology revolution kind of similar to the industrial revolution, you know, many decades ago, uh, the ability f- to create these core technology enhancements, but given the free time and the new capabilities of this continuing to layer and build on top of each other, um, which is, which is enhancing and expediting, um, technological innovation. What are some ways that you think Mark, like what are some innovative new marketing technologies? Sure. Yeah. Um, in terms of, in, so in terms of MarTech, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I, I can't help but plug Verity again. I really, I really think our solution is going to be one of the many to, to provide, um, to provide marketers with the data that they need in order to, to, to make decisions. Um, and, not just, you know, marketing intelligence teams, but really be able to provide value across the entire organization um, of a business as it pertains to to marketing insights, um, to, to be able to provide uh, the key the key data to make decisions on a uh, on a on a current uh, customer base perspective on developing new customer bases and to also analyze um, with, you know, internal, when you look at, uh, when you look at your business internally, to be able to make operational uh, insights and decisions um, to allow your, your organization to run as efficiently as possible. Um, data providers are, uh, I think going to be, uh, some of the, um, some of the biggest unicorns in tech in this, in this upcoming decade. Um, uh, as I, I look forward to, to listening to this again in 10 years now and see if I'm right, uh, that, that data, data is a new goal. And I think any data provider from our first party perspective will be, um, will be those, um, you know, those, uh, tech unicorns. I'll also highlight the, the technology, 
I was talking about earlier um, with that use case in email marketing technology called Movable Inc. Um, the first technology company that I ever worked for, um, which is obviously still around, um, just recently secured some more funding themselves. They're still growing, which is exciting to see. Um, but being able to enhance organizations to provide a higher level of personalized experiences for consumers, uh, but from a visual perspective, they do a really good job at that and are continuing to be better in their integrations. Um, something similar to Verity, uh, having uh, many, uh, having an entire uh, exchange of partners that we work with. Movable Inc. does the same thing very well um, because in order to provide these personalized experiences, that's going to lead to a positive engagement. Um, data from all different sources are going to be key in, in order to, to execute that, but then also scale it. Scalability is in, is incredibly huge, which kind of talks about the limitations of core email tech, which Movable Inc. Uh, essentially allows uh, those those technologies to do at a large scale, um, because their their focus is around one to one um, personalization through email content and imagery. Nice, nice, very interesting. Um, yeah, e- email is a email is a great marketing channel, I think. Um, especially for, you know, loyalty and, and increasing customer loyalty because, um, because of that personalization, you know, you could send somebody a birthday gift and all, all of that. So, you know, every, on my birthday, I get like 10 birthday emails <laughs> from different brands, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it is fairly effective. Um, I have to say, um, last question, who inspires you? Who inspires me? I'd have to go with Mark and Mark, my two favorite Marks and uh, my two favorite entrepreneurs, um, Mark Cuban and Mark Benioff. Um, what, what they do similarly um, is they leverage empathy in business. Um, it's something that I have, that I've been doing myself over the last years. And I think why I've been successful in my career is being able to use empathy in, in business, be able to connect with my colleagues, my managers, my clients, my prospective clients, being able to connect with them, um, at an emotional level where I can truly understand their motivations, understand where their, where their pain points are and understand really why we're having a particular type of conversation. And then with that, in that tactic in solution selling, just, you know, for, for my experience as an example, being able to understand those, uh, those motivations and those needs at a deep level, being able to then obviously provide a tech- technological solution, but that is tied to alleviating and meeting the needs of my clients from that empathetic perspective. And is, has has really helped uh, me in my career in looking at the same way 
that Mark Cuban and Mark Benioff has done that. When I, uh, I've always, I've always enjoyed listening to Mark Cuban and Shark Tank. He's my favorite shark easily. And the main reason for that, Alex, is the way he, uh, the way he analyzes the prospective entrepreneurs he might be partnering with. Um, for him, he doesn't look at the product first or the service first. He looks at the entrepreneur. He looks at the person. And in that short time, looks to understand them from an empathetic perspective and to really see their motivations and um, understand their drive and make a business decision based on that. Quite literally making uh, making decisions based on emotions rather than than product. Obviously, data is great. Obviously, revenue and projected revenue is great. Um, but end of the day, uh, I've seen Mark Cuban again and again make decisions based on can is this person willing going to do whatever it takes, or, or is this person truly motivated? Um, because if they are, although their you know their forecasts may not be where we want them to be, I know this person will work with me to get there, rather than someone else who might just be looking for that additional cash and not be as motivated and not be as focused. And then that business might fail later on. I've always, I've always respected Mark Cuban um, in, in the way that he approaches making deals uh, with entrepreneurs. From Mark Benioff, the, 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 the founder of Salesforce, um, I, I've always respected his way of using empathy from an operational perspective. Um, this, when you look at uh, you know, the past year and a half of, uh, you know, the, the pre current and post pandemic world, whatever, whatever we want to call it. I was heavily impressed with the way that he approached, uh, adapting, uh, the, the, the Salesforce business from a, from a cultural and operational perspective, um, to accommodate the needs of his employees. I thought that was, um, incredibly intelligent by him. Um, to be able to make sure Salesforce um, continues to grow throughout uh, one of the world's toughest times we might we might ever see, um, and in doing so, he leaned on his employees uh, to uh, to make sure that the organization was going to get through this okay. Understanding what his employees need, because without them, Salesforce is nothing. Um, and in listening to interviews that he's done, those are kind of like my general takeaways and him using empathy, really looking to understand, uh, what, what the Salesforce team needs throughout this time. If he can accommodate those needs, then their employees, um, are going to be going to be better off in terms of retaining clients continuing to be focused on clients through, through their tough time. And the, the empathy coming from the top resonates with his employees, which then means his employees are going to be more empathetic towards their customers and towards their colleagues, allowing for, for, for a higher level of, um, of operational efficiency from an internal perspective and from an external perspective, uh, a higher level of client retention and, and growth in ARR um, in being able to, uh, being able to translate that empathy, um, throughout the organization and through their, to their customers. Uh, I've also, you know, in, in listening to interviews, I've also read two books, uh, about Mark Benioff and, 
the uh, obviously the general you know cloud sales industry, but um, particularly use cases around Salesforce.com. Um, one being predictable revenue, which is incredibly focused on uh, how Salesforce.com has grown since its uh, since its conception in, in in the dot com era, as well as lead, uh, reading. Let me turn turn around here. Look at my my bookshelf. Um, selling the cloud. Uh, selling the cloud is an is an incredibly uh, thought provoking book for those who are in uh, who are in cloud technology. You know uh, whether you sell it or not. That um, really just talks about Salesforce, obviously uh, the use cases with Mark, but also talks about all the great executives in software as a service in the dot com era and through today, and how they've been able to uh, to, to leverage particular business tactics, whether it be, um, based on, uh, you know, based on trust, empathy, you know, all those emotional things, but also taking advantage of, uh, the opportunities, um, the opportunities throughout time to be able to, uh, either get their businesses to the next level or to create a new business. Yeah, that's really inspiring. I can I can totally tell why you're inspired by them. That's those are really good answers. All right. Well, I think that that's a great way. That's a great place to end. I want to thank you, Alex, for coming on. This has been a really thought provoking episode. And um, yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate you so much. Yeah, Alex, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, to listening into the episodes after ours. Um, it's such good content. Keep it up. Thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.